All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen or in your outline or use the Central Church app. I know two screens are down. Um, it's messing me up. It's way more than it's messing you up, I promise. Those two screens on the side are my security blanket. Like I see the stuff out of the corner of my eye. And I know where I'm at in my notes. And so um, it's, I'm way messed up with this. So um, anyway, Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to go. Um, we're starting a brand new series today called Empowered. I'm going to be four or five, maybe six weeks in this series, um, maybe. Um, but l- l- let me let me kind of let me kind of set this up, um, then I'll explain what the series is about. I'll start with a question: If you could travel back in time, like if you could make a time machine, or you had a friend that had a DeLorean that went 88 miles an hour, or you could. How many of you even got that reference? Anybody? Like three people. Or is it like, I don't even know what that means. But anyway, if you could, if you could travel back in time and you could see three biblical events, only three, you go back, you see three biblical events. What would the three biblical events be that you'd want to see? But think about that for a second. Like that's kind of a big question. Maybe write down real quick the three that you want to see and don't write down the crucifixion. Nobody wants to see that. Like that's, that, 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 that's not what you want to see for real. But what three things would you like to see? For, for me, the first two are so incredibly simple. Um, if you had to nail me down to a third one and say you got to pick a third, like that's tough because there's a ton of stuff that I would love to see. Um, but the first one is really, really, really simple. The resurrection. I, I would, I think it would be awesome to have been at the resurrection. I would have loved to have been there and seen it because think about it. Like nobody was there to see it because they all thought Jesus was dead. Like all of Jesus's followers thought he was dead. They knew he was dead. He told them though, he said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to die, but it's all right. Three days going to rise again. No, nobody believed that, right? I mean, honestly, none of us would believe that. If somebody, if one of your friends told you today, like, hey, I'm going to die today, but don't worry about it. In three days, I'll be at the party. Like, like, oh, we're all going to be like, yeah, whatever, Frank, like, stop, man. Like, we don't even know what, what you're talking about. And that's how it was for Jesus. Nobody believed it. So they weren't three days later after his death, camped out at the tomb, waiting for him to come back. Nobody was there. Now, the whole reason that we're here today is because he was dead, but he did come back to life. And so that would be really cool to see because I've never, ever, 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 ever seen one of those. And neither have you. Um, the second thing I would love to see, I would love to go back in time and see with my own eyes what we're going to talk about today in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I would love absolutely love to see when the Holy Spirit came into the early church to indwell and empower every single believer. Because when that happened, everything for the church at that point changed, and we're still affected by that change today. In fact, this series is called Empowered, and we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. Now, hopefully... I say hopefully loosely. Um, hopefully I'm going to be able to do it in a way that's not weird. I've been working on this series for a few months, um, trying to make it not weird, um, trying to make it so that everybody walks out of here. My prayer is that we walk out of here um, encouraged and filled with hope. Because the Holy Spirit, when you begin to talk about it, it can get weird. Churches talk about it in a weird way. Churches view the Holy Spirit in different ways. Some, some churches don't talk about the Holy Spirit at all. And some churches, he's like crazy Uncle Eddie. He shows up at Christmas, and he doesn't say anything. And if he does say something, you're like super nervous, and you're like awkwardly looking at your date, being like, oh, like don't say anything really dumb. Don't do anything weird. And then he leaves, and then you don't see him again until Easter. Like crazy Uncle Eddie, he's there, but let's not talk about him. 
Some churches call the Holy Spirit different things. Um, like I grew up going to Catholic church. Um, there the Holy Spirit's called the Holy Ghost. It, it's the same thing, but I'm scared of ghosts, so we're not going to call it Holy Ghost. We're just going to call it Holy Spirit. Some churches overemphasize the Holy Spirit. Like some churches, like either everything is a spirit. Either everything is a demon or everything is some sort of spirit. Churches in this category, I argue that they don't really talk a whole lot about Jesus. It's usually like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for the whole cross or resurrection thing. Now sit on the sideline. We're going to only talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. And we're going to say the Holy Spirit causes us to do some weird things. And we're going to confuse everybody. And we're going to confuse other churches. And, and so it gets, it gets weird. E- even in my in my educational background, um, I have a Baptist um, educational background. Um, we didn't talk that much about the Holy Spirit a ton because the Holy Spirit for a lot of people is scary. The Holy Spirit for a lot of people is confusing. But listen, God did not give us the Holy Spirit to confuse us. And he didn't give us the Holy Spirit to scare us. He gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us. And so that's what we're going to talk about in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is the event I'd have loved to have seen, to have been a part of, and seen it with my own eyes. Because the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the early church, what, listen, th- this is where I'm going to get weird with this thing. What happened in the early church 2,000 years ago, I believe can happen today. Like, I'm just that weird to believe that what happened then can happen today. In fact, I truly believe that what happened in the Bible is happening today. And and so I I just believe we need to buy into it a little bit more. Um, What happened then can happen now. And what happened in this early church, what we're going to see that happened, has so much practical implications for our life today. All right, so four things, four things in this text that stand out to me in the life of a believer about the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, write these down. Um, Here we go. Number one is unity. Because of the Holy Spirit, we have unity. Now, I'm not going out on a limb here by saying this. You'll agree with me. The church in America today, we're not known for our unity. Am I right? We're not. Because we argue about stupid stuff. We argue in the church about stupid stuff. We fight and divide over stupid stuff. We, we really do. Um, when, I was, when I was real young in ministry, my first, the first church I worked at was a Southern Baptist church. I was a youth pastor. And I went to my very first church business meeting. Now, I didn't know what a business meeting was. They didn't talk to me about business meetings in Bible college. Um, if you've never been to a traditional church, when they have a business meeting on Wednesday night, they don't actually talk about church business. They talk about everybody else's into church business. Like that's, that's what they talk about. All right. You're going to want to show up to one of those because if you don't show up, what they're going to talk about is what? You, but they do it in the form of a prayer request. And so I guess it's okay. So my very first one, true story, very first church business meeting, there was a threat to call the police because two deacons got in a fight, like a physical fight. It started out yelling and screaming and cussing at each other. And then it turned into pushing and one of them threw a punch, but it missed. Like, and it was over this, who was going to run the soundboard on Sunday morning? Seriously. And so we're not known for our unity. In most churches, we're known because we love to fight. We love to fight in-house. And listen, listen, we could go through this whole thing and we could blame politics. We could talk about that here and we could say that. And and by the way, both sides are bad, right? Both sides need a spanking or putting time out, whichever parenting style you have. Like that, that's what I think. Because all they do is, is, is talk about each other and cause division. But listen, 
The church isn't any better. The church is not any better. We're not known for our unity. We're known for the things that we fight about. But what I find interesting is on the day of Pentecost, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, I don't know if you know that or not, but Luke wrote the book of, um, the gospel of Luke, but he also writes the book of Acts. And so it's like Luke part two or the sequel or whatever. Um, but he tells us this in chapter two, verse one, it starts out talking about this thing called the day of Pentecost. Now, most of us, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We're, we're not Jewish. And so we don't get what Luke is saying here, but this is a big deal. Because the day of Pentecost was a celebration, still a celebration. They, they still celebrate Israel. They, Jews still celebrate the day of Pentecost all over the world. The day of Pentecost back, back then, a, a little bit now, it, we're going to talk about it later in a different way. We're going to talk about it 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but for Jews, um, most of them today and even back then, um, was the day they celebrated the law coming down, like the day that the Moses came down with the law from Mount Sinai to the nation of Israel. So they were celebrating the law coming down. Essentially, that's it. They, they're celebrating the law coming down. They're celebrating the law coming down. They're celebrating what? The law coming down. Super important. All right. So bookmark that thought because I'm going to come back to this and show you something super cool at the end of the message. So Luke says on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, and that's, that we're going to find out later, that was 120 people at that time. All the believers, 120 people, were meeting together in one place. In other words, they were all unified. All right? One of the things that I pray for here at Central Church is that we would be a unified church. That's super important. It's important for me. Um, it's important for the leadership here that we're a unified church. M- maybe you, you've heard me say this before. I've said it several times. The devil isn't afraid of a big church. He's afraid of a unified church. Like It, it doesn't matter how big we get. Like it, it, it matters how unified we get. Now, when I say unified, that does not mean uniformity because none of us agree on everything, right? For example, how many of you are married? Raise your hand. You, you, come on, quicker. You don't got to think about that. Like, I don't, I don't know, looking at your spouse. It's not a confusing question. You got that one figured out. Um, for those of you that raise your hand, this is going to be funny because it's been different in, in both the other services. Do you agree with everything, on everything with your spouse, yes or no? See, there's some yeses and some noes. In the first service, it was like straight down the middle. The men said yes, the women said no. It was like, <laughs> let's be honest, in church on a Sunday. No, you don't agree on everything. Heck, some of you had a disagreement on the way to church, didn't you? I could see it when you're walking in. This is what you do. Like you're walking in and you see me standing out there. And so then you start talking out of the side of your mouth to your spouse. We'll struggle this when we get home. When you talk out of the side of your mouth when you're way into church, that's never good. Nobody, nobody agrees on everything. In fact, I heard somebody say one time, this is so true. If two people on this planet agree about every single thing, one of them is a liar. Because none of us agree on everything. And I want you to think about this. And this is, you might push back on this and it's okay for you to be wrong. It's all right. Um, the early church, the early church, they didn't have a bunch of written out rules and regulations. I mean, they didn't have, they really didn't have any doctrinal beliefs or core values. And within 350 years with no social media, no radio, no TV, they had reached half the known world with the gospel of Jesus because they were unified. They took the command to love one another seriously and they just went out and did it together. They just went out and proclaimed the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. 
Now, let me give you some things here at Central that we need to be unified on. All right, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some things that we've got to be unified on here at Central. If we can't get on the same page with these, um, like I, I don't want to say this and be insulting, but this probably isn't your place. It, it's just, it's just not. We've got to be on the same page of these things. Number one, I've said this for weeks. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Fully God, fully man. The reason I've been on such a kick to get this into everybody's mind is because about a month and a half ago, I read this article from this evangelical society that said, the like, I can't remember the percentage, but it was a big percentage, was in the 60% um, tile of evangelical Christians don't believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Like, he's fully God and full, like, we have to understand that. He wasn't God at some points and Jesus and man at some point. He was all the time 100-100. We have 100% got to be on the same page with that, right? Letter B, he was born a virgin, not a young woman. There's a big difference between a young woman and a virgin. There are, um, there are some Bible translations that are out there. The Revised Standard Version is one of them. There are some new ones coming out that are translating that word, young woman. I'm telling you, there's a big difference, right? I'll, I'll go ahead and admit and tell you and put it on the table. Mary was probably 14 years old. So young woman applies. But there's a difference between a young woman and a virgin. 633 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. One of them was he'd be born a virgin. If he wasn't born a virgin, he's not fully God and fully man. Make sense? And so it's super important that we're on page, on, on board with that. Now I know somebody's gonna say, and then wearing virgin is offensive. Stop it. Knock it off. So is the cross. It's offensive. It's incredibly offensive. But that's how he was born. Number C, letter C, whatever. Salvation and Christ alone by faith alone. Faith alone and Christ alone, whichever order you want to put that in, it means the same thing. Salvation, a no other name. No other name but the name of who? By the name of who? No, no, none. No other way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm not going to have the argument. All roads lead to heaven. I'll agree with you. All roads do lead to heaven, except only one of them gets you through the gate. The others just drop off to the pit of hell, right? Salvation. Salvation happens in Christ alone through faith alone. Letter D, I'll simplify this one for you. I'm messed up. I'm messed up. Somebody like, yes, Ryan, you are. You're incredibly messed up. That's not what I'm saying. Well, I am saying I'm messed up. But me, you, like all of us, we're messed up together. You are messed up. Nobody here today can say the reason you came to church today is because you're trying to figure out how not to be so dang perfect. I'm struggling with how to not be so perfect. I don't know why I'm so perfect. I'm the most perfect person I know. How do I handle this perfection? Nobody's wrestling with that. And if you are, leave, because we will mess you up, I promise you. Every single person here knows how messed up we are. All of us know we're messed up. It's called total depravity. We're born sinners, born sinners. Um, one of our elders sent me a survey last night that just came out from League of Their um, Ministries. And it was sickening to see and heartbreaking to see what people in churches believe. And, and this was, this is the one that I messed up earlier. It was 68%. 68% of evangelical Christians, people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, believe we're born innocent. We're not born innocent. We are born sinners. The Bible tells us in the womb 
We sinned. We are born sinners. We are, we are messed up. We are sinners in need of a Savior to rescue us from this life of sin. All of us. We've got to be on board with that. Listen, this is a safe place where it's okay to admit you're messed up and that you need Jesus. Right? It, it, just, it just is. That's why we exist as a church. Letter E, Jesus is alive and he's coming back. He's alive and he's coming back. I don't know when, but he's coming back. See, these five things right here, these are non-negotiables here in this church. L- listen, when he's coming back, we can agree to disagree. We could talk about dispensations. We can talk about pre-trib, post-trib, all-millennial, post. We, we can talk about all those things. And I'm going to tell you what. I can make an argument for every single one of those things and an argument against every single one of those things. And one six-month period time, I'll land on this one, and the next I'll land on this one, and, I, and I'll keep going back and forth. But here's the thing. Jesus himself said, no one knows the time when the Son of Man will return. So if Jesus said that, what does that mean? Nobody knows! So stop trying to figure it out. No one in this room is going to figure it out. And so why spend our time being divided over those things, right? And so agree to disagree on that. How to take communion? We can agree to disagree. How we do communion here at Central, this open communion thing, uh, if you don't like, like, okay, don't, don't do it. That's, that's fine. Like, if you like it, like, great. Like, how often to take communion? Like, agree to disagree. Cool, right? Worship style? Uh, agree to disagree. These five things, though, not agree to disagree. These five things are a big deal. There are a couple more that we'll hit in the coming weeks, but I need to hit these five today because I, I see these five things in this text. Because the, the early church, Acts 2, the reason they were gathered together was because Jesus was dead and he came back to life. It had nothing to do with denominations or doctrinal stances or creed. They were there because they followed a man named Jesus who was dead and came back to life. They understood he was fully God and fully man. They understood the prophecy being fulfilled of him being born a virgin because they were there. They were around at the time. They knew the story of Mary. They knew all the stuff. They had all the, all the facts right in front of them. They understood because they heard Jesus teach salvation, faith alone, in him alone. Like they, they knew, I'm messed up. I can't fulfill the law. I can't keep the commandments. I need rescued from myself. I, I need a way into heaven. And, and they knew, again, he was alive. And he says he's coming back. And listen to me. You can believe, you can not believe one time when somebody tells you, hey, they're going to kill me and three days later I'm going to come back. You cannot believe that. But dude says it the second time, guess what you're going to do? You're going to believe. Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. And so these five things, again, not an exhaustive list, but these are things that should unite us as a church. Because I think if we can unify around these statements, we can work through a lot of things. So the first thing is the Holy Spirit, um, he gives us unity. Gives us unity. Number two is power. Holy Spirit not only provides unity, the Holy Spirit provides power. Now think about this. Picture this with me. They're all together in one place. 120 people. Um, the believers, people, other people are probably gathered around. Everybody's kind of leaning in. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Peter gets up. He's kind of arranging his notes. He's getting ready. They're doing a mic check. They're doing all these things. Everyone's just waiting for Peter to preach. And all of a sudden... Boom! That's how it happened. Watch. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. That's power, yes or no? When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's always associated with power. Now, 
when I talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, this is where I'm going to try really, 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 really hard not to get weird. Because sometimes, like, sometimes when you talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, people get weird. Oh, the power of the Holy Spirit causes me to do weird things. Maybe. Maybe you just did something stupid and blamed it on the Spirit. I mean, I'm just saying, I've seen some stuff. But the power I'm talking about, I'm talking about there's some passages in the Bible. For, for instance, in the book of Judges, book of Judges is a book in the Old Testament. It's about a group of men and women who led the nation of Israel before they had got a king. And there's one very famous judge. We all know his name is Samson. If you're from a church background, you know about Samson. He went to the satanic salon, got the haircut from hell, and, and it didn't go well for Samson. But there's a, a part of Samson's story that talks about the Holy Spirit and how it ties into power in an incredible way. It's actually quite awesome. The Bible says this, Judges 14, verse 5. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. Now listen, I don't know where you are in your faith journey with Jesus. and your theological beliefs, I don't know. But I think we can all agree, that's a bad day. Listen, we live in Carroll. Right? We're, we're in Carroll. Maybe you live in the surrounding communities. But, but listen, we'll, we'll narrow it down even bigger. We're in Iowa. Nobody, 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 nobody's going to leave here today going, Frank, we got to go to Walmart. Or I'm scared to death. A lion's going to get me. Like, nobody's got that going on. Right? Nobody's worried about a lion. They got lions in Guatemala. No, you ain't even worried about it over there. So you can go on a mission trip, not even be worried about a lion, right? We're not worried. In fact, we got first world problems. If this was written in first world language, it would say, as Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, Samson's Wi-Fi on his phone went out. (laughs) That'd be horrible, right? No, I'm going to go ahead and say this, getting attacked by a lion, that sucks. Can can we agree that getting attacked by a lion, that's not good. But watch what happens. This gets great. Verse 6. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Now, let me explain something here. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could come upon a person and the Holy Spirit could leave a person. In the New Testament, once the Holy Spirit is there, he's there to stay. So once you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. He's there to stay. But in this moment... This is the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord just powerfully comes upon Samson. And when you're reading this, what churches will try to to teach is like, oh, the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. He sang a worship song in the presence of the lion. And then he prayed for the lion. And then he rebuked the lion and the lion left and everything was great and rainbows and puppy dogs. No, that's not what Samson did. See, you don't teach about this in kids' church because this is a little disturbing. It says this, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. Can, can you imagine this? Can you imagine? Like you just, you're, you're Samson. Hanging out with mom and dad. Rolling down to Timna. There's some vineyards. Maybe they'll let me do a wine tasting with them. Oh my gosh, there's a lion. Lion attacks. Get off me! Like if you're a mom and dad, you're like, you know what, honey? I think maybe we ought to put him some anger management classes. Because that's rough, isn't it? But then this next part, this next part just disturbs me even more because I don't get it. It says this, he did it as easily as if it was a young goat. I don't know nothing about goat farming, but are goats soft? Like I I just don't, I don't, like is Samson like walking around ripping apart goats for no reason? 
Like, does he have some friends that he doesn't like who are goat farmers? And he's just like, you can't have those goats. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't understand. But the Holy Spirit, don't, don't miss this. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon Samson so powerfully that he rips apart the lion by its jaws. Now, I'm looking at this and going, okay, God, that's a cool story. It's awesome. Glad it's there. But how does this apply? Like, are we supposed to go to the Omaha Zoo today? Because that's superior than the Des Moines Zoo. But are we supposed to go there? And we supposed to go up to the lion? I don't know what the lion's name is. I probably should have done some research. But let's just say his name is Leo. We supposed to go down there and be like, Hey, Leo! Get your butt over here, big boy! I got something for you! Just rip him apart. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's not what that means. Like, none of us are doing that. But then I remembered something. I remember Peter wrote something in 1 Peter 5, 8. He said, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring, what? Lion, looking for someone to devour. So the lion is trying to devour. The lion is trying to devour. The lion is trying to what? Devour. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon Samson and he ripped the lion apart. So if we have the Holy Spirit, don't miss this. If we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us today, we can rip apart any work the enemy is trying to do in our lives. So we can rip apart depression. We can rip apart anxiety. We can rip apart fear. We can rip apart worry and rip apart loneliness. Not because we're so strong, but because the Holy Spirit of the living God lives inside of us. And he says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. That's what we can do. Rip apart anything the enemy throws our way. I, I love what Paul says. He's writing to, to the church in, in Rome. And in Rome, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, he says, the same Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That, that's strong. That the same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead, if you're a believer, lives inside of you. Do you know what that means? That means nothing is impossible. That's what that means. Nothing is impossible because the same Spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to go through tough times. That's not what that means at all. It means we can go through tough times and we can come out stronger on the other side because of power. The Holy Spirit gives us power. The third thing that we see in this text is gifting. Holy Spirit gives each believer spiritual gifts. Each believe, Every single believer has at least one spiritual gift. There were 120 people in this room on the day of Pentecost. And Acts chapter 2 verse 3 says this. Then, that's why I would have loved to have seen this. Could you imagine this? Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Tongues of fire. That would be cool. Right? I mean, let's just all admit. To see that, that would be cool. Now, don't miss this. The Bible says each of them. Yes or no? Yes. That means men and women, young and old, all were gifted with spiritual gifts. No distinctions were made. This is so strong. We're going to talk about this later on in the series. But in this instance, when it comes to spiritual gifts, there were no distinctions made. By the way, I'm going to point this out, and I'll say this, and I'll move on. There are two metaphors given for the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. We'll talk about this every week as we, as we talk about this. It's wind and fire. Wind and fire. What happens when you get wind and fire together? What happens? What happens? You can't control it, right? When wind and fire come together, 
You can't control it. You should have been out here at Christmas time after we did the fireworks and the wind came and that thing lit up on fire. It was crazy, right? You, you can't, you can't control it. And so I'm very, 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 very skeptical of people who say they can control the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, activate, active. Shut up. Stop it. You, you, listen, God did not give us the Holy Spirit as a pet. He did not, but rather a provider to help us through anything that life throws our way. And so Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he said, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. You and I, we have a spirit, at least one spiritual gift. Now, in the church world, we have wrongly taught for years. If you can't preach, teach, or sing, you're not gifted. But you know what? Some of the most gifted people in this church, nobody ever sees what they do. It's behind us. We have, man, we have so many behind the scenes rock stars in this church who will never be up on this stage. Never do it, but they make this place run. They're operating in their gift to help all of us. They're amazing. And guess what? They never have to tell anybody they're gifted. They just do it and we see. Like, you don't have to tell anybody you're gifted. People can just see. For, for example, I'll put this in terms maybe you, you can get. Patrick Mahomes. Does he have to tell anybody he's gifted at football? No. You just give him a football and he plays. And when he plays, you know he's gifted. Except for when he plays against the Colts. And then you just don't get it. Because let's be honest. Peyton, way more gifted. All right? I mean, if we had a church team, I'd pick up Mahomes. I would. But, right? I mean, so you don't have to tell people. You see what I'm saying? You have to tell people. You just operate in your gifting and people see. Now, for years and years and years, people have asked the question, how do you know what your spiritual gift is? Listen, there are all kinds of tests out there. You can go online. You can take tests and assessments. Um, we do one in Growth Track. If you take Growth Track, it's on the first Sunday of every month. Um, but, but I'll make this real simple. We teach this in Growth Track as well. Um, but I've taught this for years. If you've ever heard me teach on spiritual gifts, you've heard me say this. This is how you can begin to know what your spiritual gift is. You ask yourself two questions. What do I do well and what do I enjoy? What do I enjoy? What do I do well? What do I do well? What do I enjoy? I bet so many Christians that go, oh my gosh, when I do that, I get so much joy. It can't be God's will for me. What? No, 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 no. I'm supposed to suffer. We're supposed to suffer in this world. I need to suffer for Jesus. I'm sorry. Jesus suffered on the cross so that we don't have to suffer. So if you're suffering, it shouldn't be because you're trying to get brownie points from God. Because I think one of the greatest testimonies that we can have for Jesus is living an abundant life, living fully alive. And so when somebody sees our life, they're like, hey, I want some of that right there. Not, I'm miserable. I hate life. I hate everything about life. If you receive Jesus, you could be just like me. That's cool, dude. I'm, I'm all right. I don't <laughs> Now, it's got to be like a yes to both those questions, right? Like, what do, what do I do well? Because some people do some things well that you don't enjoy, right? Or you do something, you don't enjoy them. Like, like, listen, I wanted to be a veterinarian at one time in life. Can you believe that? Can you? I'm sorry. Can you imagine me working on your cat? I mean, seriously. Can you, I mean, come, come on. I, I, I did kids church, church once. Like, I did it well. I didn't enjoy it. Some people, you, you do stuff well, but you don't enjoy it. And then you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> Other people, <laughs> you enjoy some things, but you don't do them well. Like, I was at church one time. True story. A friend invited me, 
And, and I'll never forget this. A woman got up to sing, and she said this phrase. I, I was a pretty new Christian. I never heard these things before. But she said, God laid this song on my heart this morning. I want to share it with y'all. And then she started to sing it. I literally looked up and said, you laid this on her heart? You got to be joking me. She was like wearing it out, and she could not sing at all. Afterwards, my friend asked me, He's like, hey, what'd you think of the service? I said, the service was good. And then he asked me the question I didn't want him to ask. What'd you think about the girl that sang? I was like, oh man, I'll be honest with you, though. It was bad. Like it was awful. And this is what he said to me. And this is the first time anybody ever said this to me in like the context of a church. He said, but she's got a great heart. And I said, because I didn't know. I was like, well, that's awesome. But I wasn't listening to her heart. I was listening to her voice. And that sounded like Ryan the vet working on her cat. Like that's what it sounded like. He, he never asked me to go to that church again. Now, I, I know some people that enjoy things, but they don't do them well. But we let them do it in the church because they, they, they claim they're doing it in the spirit. Well, how spirit let? No, 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 no. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was a spirit, right? Probably hit some spirits in the parking lot before you walked into church, which I'm glad you're here. But, but l- listen, it's got to fall in line with these two questions. What do I do? What do I do well? What do I enjoy? What do I enjoy? What do I do well? Those two things will lead you to begin understanding what your spiritual gift is. They, they will. They really will. The last thing is enablement. They were enabled. Watch this. This is fascinating to me. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Samson. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone present in the room, all 120 believers, right, were filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, real quick. This is a controversial passage to some people because right here, the King James Version, some people are going to say the King James Version, the authorized version, you only need to use the King. No, no, stop it. We're not going to argue that either. All right. But right here, the King James Version says speaking in other tongues. And so they'll start talking about speaking in tongues and they bring up this verse. Listen, we're going to talk about that later on in the series. I'm going to say this. It is very clear in this particular text. I'm not talking about the other ones in Corinthians. I'm not talking about the other texts that talk about the, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about this particular text, keeping it in context, not twisting it to make it say what we want it to believe, that the people right here that were filled with the Spirit were empowered to speak languages that they did not know. In this instance, all right? In this instance right here. This would be the equivalent to me standing on this stage today and all of a sudden I start busting out in Spanish like or, or German or French. I don't know any of those things, right? And, and so talking in some language I do not know. Does that make sense? It would be equivalent to me speaking a language. I would be enabled to do something I wasn't previously able to do. Now, let me, let me, I, I got some confessions to make as we finish up this, um, this message. A couple things for me to confess. When it comes to spiritual gifts and, and, and giftings, when it comes to pastoral giftings, there's some stuff I don't do well. I, I just don't. Like if you're ever in the hospital, you don't want me to come see you. It's not my gift. Like it's just not. I need a pastor to come to the pastor. I want you to come to the hospital. Yeah, I suck at hospital visits though. Listen, Last time I went to the hospital to visit somebody, that person in the bed prayed for me. Like, that's, that's how bad it was. Like, there, there are things, like, I'll go, and, and eventually, like, the Spirit will enable, and, and I get through it. But there are things, like, the Holy Spirit does that just blow my mind, like, en- enables us. So, another little confession. Um, I've been aggressively 
um, seeing a, a counselor uh, for about a month and a half or so. Your pastor is in counseling. He, he needs it, all right? So some of you know that. Um, but anyway, he told me the other day that I have um, what is known as situational anxiety, meaning I don't have anxiety all the time. I just get anxious in certain situations. Some of you might know what this is like. And, and one of the biggest things that brings about my situational anxiety, now listen, you're going to have to let me talk this out because when I say it, you're not going to believe me. You're, gonna, you're, just, you're not. But the thing that brings it on the most is the fact that I hate attention. Like I, like I hate it. And so he asked me the other day, he said, when, do you, when, did you, when did you stop getting nervous preaching on Sunday mornings? I'm like, never. Like it's never stopped. Like I went pee 18 times before I got up on stage for this service right here, which is like the 911th time this morning. Some of you are like, that's too much information. We don't need to know that. But, but I get, I, I'm, like I'm so nervous on Sunday mornings. L- listen, I'll be honest with you. There have been Sundays when I've sat back over there in my office and I, I can't do this. And I, and I don't want to. I can't do this. I don't want to preach. I don't want to preach. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I don't always understand it. But I'm telling you, every single Sunday, something happens between right there and right here. Between right there and walking up, right? It doesn't happen when I'm sitting over here and walking up these stairs. But I'm just kidding. Something happens from right there to right here. Listen, it's by God's grace. By God's grace that I can get up here. Something happens between there and here. What you see on Sunday, like sometimes I think it's not even me. Like if you got to know me off stage, but like, like, like people tell me all the time, oh, you always seem like you got your stuff together. You're just so fun and you walk around quoting Bible verses and cracking jokes. No, 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 no. Sometimes I'm like the quietest person in the room. Like I'm, I'm nervous. Like I'm, I'm terrified. I'm not a fan of public speaking. I'm really not. And I know that, like, secretly, you don't do this in my face, but I know secretly you nudge each other and you make fun of the fact that every single Sunday morning I say, hey, if you got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline or use the Central Church app. You know the reason I do that is because that phrase zeroes me in every Sunday. It's that. So stop making fun of me about it, please. You're causing me anxiety. (laughs) Anyway. The Holy Spirit enables me to do this. And if he does it for me, he can do it for anybody. He absolutely could do it for you. Because at the end of the day, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life is bring life and bring hope and bring peace and bring joy in ways that you've never, ever, ever expected it or experienced it. Let me show you why. Let's go back to Acts 2, chapter 1. What festival were they celebrating? Day of what? Day of Pentecost. They were celebrating what coming down from Mount Sinai to the nation of Israel? The law. Now, we talked about this several weeks ago, where Aaron got an opportunity to step in and lead for Moses. And Moses is like, hey, you drive the car, I'm going up to the top of the mountain. And remember, Aaron, he built the golden calf, and the drunken parties happened, and the orgies, and it went super bad. Moses comes back down, he's like, hey, we got to fix this problem. And he's talking to 12 tribes, he's like, which tribe is going to rally around me? Which tribe is going to stand with me? And the Levites say, we're in, Moses, we got your back, dude. And this is what happened when the law came down. This is what happened when the law came down. Exodus 32, verse 27. Moses told, he's talking to the Levites. Moses Moses told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. Which I'm going to have a huge problem with that, former these guys. But look at this. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. How many people? 3,000. 
3,000. We had an event here we call a tragedy, 9-11, 3,000 people died, right? I mean, that's, that's awful, 3,000 people dying. That's a lot of people. That's, that's huge. But don't miss the irony here. The law came down and people died. The law came down and people died. In the church world today, I think the reason so many people are dying and dropping out is because all they get is the law and condemnation every single Sunday. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be a right and a wrong. I'm, I'm telling you, I said at the beginning of this thing, there are things we need to be united on. There's things we need to draw lines in the sand. But there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And I'm telling you, when the law came down, 3,000 people died. But watch this, because this is awesome. On the day of Pentecost, as they're celebrating the law coming down, coincidentally, just happened to be the day that the Spirit came down. But when the Spirit came down, everyone was enabled and empowered to preach the gospel in a language everyone could hear. And after Peter preached the message about salvation by the grace of God, watch what happens. Luke tells us in chapter 2, verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About how many? About how many? Come on, everybody say it together because you all see it. You all know where I'm going with this. How many? 3,000 and all. The law killed 3,000. The Spirit gave life to 3,000. I told you at the end of the message last week, I want this to be a life-giving church. That's what I want for Central Church. I want this to be a life-giving church. I want this to be a place that gives life to people who feel like there is no more life. I want this to be a place that gives hope to feel to people who feel like there is no more hope. I want this to be a place where we can talk about the Spirit of God and the grace of God. Because the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Freedom. There's freedom from condemnation. There's freedom from guilt. There's freedom from our past. There's freedom from the things that weigh us down every single week. There's freedom from the stuff that has held us in bondage for years. At the end of the day, God wants us to carry blessings out of this place, not burdens. He wants us to know that we can walk through anything with hope, not we have to walk through hell. No, Jesus already took that walk for us. So I don't know what you walked in here with today, but I know you can walk out a different person. Not, not because of the preaching, not because of the worship, but because of the spirit of the living God living inside of you, he empowers us.